Our scripture reading this evening is from Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews 12, beginning in 25 through the end of the chapter. You'll find that in the Red Pew Bible on page 1009. Hebrews 12, beginning in 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are, that, that is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. If you wanted to encourage a fellow Christian not to give up, not to turn away from Jesus Christ, what kind of arguments would you make? If somebody just said Christianity is too tough, it's, it's too demanding, there are too many, too many sacrifices that I have to make to be a Christian, I'm going back to what I was doing before. How would you reason with somebody to try to warn them that this is a devastating choice? What kinds of arguments would you make? I would suggest this evening that maybe the best thing to do would be to open the book of Hebrews and to look at the various ways in which the writer of Hebrews warns his fellow Christians not to give up on Jesus Christ. In the book of Hebrews, there are five major warning passages. It's a book of 13 chapters and there are five sections of Hebrews that warn Christians not to give up, to hold on to Jesus and what they have in him. Here are the five. Hebrews chapter two, verses one through four. In Hebrews chapter two, verses one through four, the scriptures warn Christians not to drift. Be careful about listening intently to the word of God, Hebrews chapter two, verse one, lest we drift away. So Hebrews two, verses one through four, the danger of drifting away from God and his word. The second warning passage in Hebrews is Hebrews chapter three, verses seven through 19. Hebrews chapter three, verses seven through 19. In that passage, the Hebrews writer says this, be careful about being an unbeliever. Be careful about the sin of unbelief. And the idea is something like this. We may know the truth. We may understand what God's will is, and yet we may refuse to mix it with faith. We may refuse to be doers of the word. We're just hearers the sin of unbelief. It's like the Israelites in the wilderness who listened to God's message, they listened to God's voice, but they did not obey him. And Hebrews 3 verses 7 through 19 shows us that is a devastating way to live our lives. To hear what God says and refuse to obey, there's no hope in that kind of lifestyle. The third warning passage starts in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through chapter 6, verse 20. It's a long one. Hebrews 5, 11 through Hebrews 6, 20. 
And in this passage, the Hebrews writer warns us about being dull of hearing. About being dull of hearing. You know, there are a lot of people that sit through Bible classes and sermons and you kind of wonder if they're tuned in, tuned out, or what. And the Hebrews writer says, a lot of you Christians have been doing this for a long time. You should be teachers by now. You've heard enough of the gospel and you've heard enough of the truth that you really ought to be teaching and instructing others. But I'm going to have to go back, the Hebrews writer says, and review some of the rudimentary elements of the faith because you're dull of hearing. You hear what you want to hear, but you're not listening to everything, the whole counsel of God. And there's a warning there. Drifting away, Hebrews 2, being an unbelief, Hebrews chapter 3, being dull of hearing, Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 6, 20. He's writing to warn us, don't respond to God's word this way. In Hebrews chapter 10, the next warning passage, Hebrews chapter 10, 26 through 39, the end of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through Hebrews 10, verse 39. And in this passage, he warns us about the danger of taking Jesus Christ for granted. Of taking him for granted. Said another way, a danger involved in despising him. By the way that we live our lives, we are either glorifying God or we're trampling underfoot the blood that was shed for us. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 and 28. And the Hebrews writer is saying, if you go back, if you leave Christianity, what you're doing is you're taking something that is precious, the blood of Jesus, and it's like you're just trampling it underfoot. You can't live that way. Think about what you're doing to the Lord and to the sacrifice that he made for you. So four warning passages And then the fifth one is our text tonight, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29. That's the fifth and final warning passage in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29. In this passage, the Hebrews writer warns us about refusing to hear him who speaks. It's right there in verse 25, you see it? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29. Be careful that you do not refuse him who speaks. We might well, if we're not careful, refuse the one, Jesus Christ, who's speaking to us through his word, through the gospel. We might be guilty of despising him. And so if I had a friend that was thinking about leaving Christianity, I would look at some of these passages with them and I would say, listen, the Bible says this is more than just about where you go to church. It's more than just about, as important as that is, it's more than just about associating with people who are spiritual. This is about you and about the Word of God and about God Himself. And when you make this choice, what you're doing is drifting and you're unbelieving and you're dull of hearing and you're despising that which is precious. Don't do that. Think about God and about all that He's done for you. Two parts to our lesson this evening. Here they are. Number one, we're going to look at the logic briefly of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29. And then I want us to notice, especially in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28, God mentions an unshakable kingdom. And there is actually a lot of controversy in the religious world about the identity of that kingdom. 
What is that, the unshakable kingdom? And so in the second part of our lesson this evening, we're going to give some, atten- some attention to that. What is the unshakable kingdom that we are blessed to have received? All right, part one of our lesson, the logic of Hebrews chapter 12. Notice with me, if we just read together, in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 25, make sure, Christian, that you do not refuse him who speaks. Who's he talking about there? If you back up to verse 24, he's talking about Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant, whose blood speaks better things than that of Abel. In other words, Jesus is the one who's speaking to us. How does he speak to us? He does so through his word, through the gospel. Jesus has revealed God's will to us. He has given us his New Testament. And we are not to refuse him who speaks. And notice then the argument that the Hebrews writer is going to make. He goes back to the Old Testament and he reviews what happened at Mount Sinai. He's been doing that actually since verse 18 of this chapter. And he's comparing and contrasting. He says, back at Mount Sinai, there was an earthquake when God spoke and people were terrified and Moses was terrified and all this was happening back then. And he goes on and brings this thought to their minds. If they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, he's talking about those Old Testament Israelites. And when you've read of their travails and when you've read of their wanderings in the wilderness, those people heard God, they saw the mountain lit up with fire, they saw the, thunder, the, the lightning and heard the thunder and the smoke and all of that. And those people said, you know what? God spoke to me and he gave me clearly his will, but I still am going to do what I want to do. And the Hebrews writer is saying, if those people didn't escape, when they heard God speaking from the mountain... There is a to the greater argument here. Look at verse 25. Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. He's comparing what we have to what they had in the Old Testament. They had God revealing his word on earth. We have God having revealed his will from heaven through Jesus Christ by means of the Holy Spirit and the apostles. And we will not escape. How much more, how much worse will it be for us? How much more certain will judgment be if we refuse him who speaks? In verse 26, he says, whose voice then, talking about Mount Sinai, shook the earth. But now he is promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but heaven. And then he goes on to explain in verse 27, now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. What he's saying is, and he's been arguing this throughout the book of Hebrews, the old law, the old covenant, the Old Testament, all of that was temporary. It was always intended to be. It was a schoolmaster, a tutor to lead us to Christ. And now that Jesus has come, God has shaken, if you will. And it's kind of like when you shake something in a sifter and all the stuff that you don't want falls through and all the stuff that you do stays on top or vice versa. God has shaken the earth and the old covenant and the old law, all that has been put away. And now what remains is that which cannot be shaken. So what do we have in Christ? We have him who speaks from heaven. We have things that God has shaken that will remain unshaken. 
It says in verse 28, now an encouragement. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God, this is talking about Christianity now, is a consuming fire. There is a warning in verses 25 through 27. See that you don't refuse him who speaks. And there is encouragement in verses 28 and 29. You see that? Warning, those first three verses. Encouragement, the last two. And the encouragement goes like this. We have a constant privilege because we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken. We have received and continue to receive a kingdom which is going to last. The old law was temporary. It was something that God established to bring us to Christ. And when Jesus came and fulfilled the old law, God shook and the old law went away. And now we have something that will not be shaken, cannot be shaken. Said another way, the kingdom's going to last forever. That's what he's talking about in verse 28. The kingdom which God has established is going to endure forever. It is a kingdom which cannot be shaken. There's a constant privilege that you and I have. We can be part of that kingdom. But notice as well, there's a constant need. Let us have grace. A constant need. As we serve God in this kingdom, we constantly need God's blessing, God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's salvation. We constantly need those things. There's a constant call. Let us serve God acceptably. And the word there in Hebrews 12 verse 28 has to do with priestly service. As we serve and we minister, we are the priests of God, if you will. And then there is a constant reminder in verse 29. Our God is a consuming fire. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just as he punished those in the old law who did not listen to his word, he will also likewise judge those under the new law who do not listen to his word. He's a consuming fire. As God's people, we need grace that we might serve him acceptably constantly bringing sacrifices and offerings to him. Go back to verse 25 very briefly. See that you don't refuse him who speaks. Sometimes we need to apply this a little bit more specifically. There are a lot of people who have opportunities to hear God's word. It doesn't mean anything to them. There are people who believe that if I just attend services on Sunday morning, well, that's good enough. Even though there are other opportunities throughout the week for us to hear and to understand more of God's word, it's not important to them. And they'll, they'll say things like, well, when I read in the Bible, the church just ascended, assembled on Sunday, uh, and, and I just don't have much interest in that. We might well be guilty of refusing him who speaks by making ourselves absent from assemblies. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 warns us not to do that. We might well be guilty of refusing him who speaks by sitting in the audience and checking out mentally. I'm just not going to think about what God's word is saying to me. I'm not going to think about how this applies to me and what needs to change in my life. I've got other thoughts. I've got other obligations. It just doesn't matter to me. We might refuse him who speaks by listening listlessly. I'll hear a little bit of what's being said, but you know what? 
I've got other things where my mind is going to wander. The Bible is warning us, brothers and sisters. It's saying not only is it sinful to do those things, but it will cost you your soul ultimately if we persist in those things. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. We're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. We have a privilege. We have a blessing. We're talking this month about building with our great God. He has built a kingdom. He has revealed that kingdom to humanity. And brothers and sisters and friends, you and I could be part of that kingdom right now tonight. So for the second part of our lesson, I'd like to talk to you about that unshakable kingdom in Hebrews 12, verse 28. Sound good? What is that kingdom? You can open up a number of commentaries written by all kinds of religious people. You can talk to your friends and your neighbors who are of other religious views and you will get a incredible diversity of views concerning what this unshakable kingdom is. What is the unshakable kingdom that we have received? The kingdom that cannot be shaken, that will not pass away. That's what it means. It's going to endure forever. What is that kingdom? If you would, let's go back in our Bibles and study some passages about the kingdom. I would like to submit to you tonight that the Bible indicates in the New Testament that the people who are part of the church that belongs to Jesus Christ are also simultaneously part of the kingdom that we're reading about in Hebrews 12, 28. The church, the kingdom, same people. I believe the Bible teaches that. Let me show you a number of passages. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus talked about the church in Matthew 16. He asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they gave him a number of answers. Who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And in Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says this. In Matthew 16, 18, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now look at verse 19. And I will give you the keys of the, what? The kingdom of heaven. That whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Brothers and sisters and friends, in Matthew 16, 18, 18 and 19, Jesus used the term church and he used the term kingdom in the very same context almost interchangeably. Upon this rock I will build my church. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That's significant. That's not the only place in Scripture where that happens. Open your Bibles now, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And look, if you would, at verse 13. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. What is the kingdom? The Bible indicates that the kingdom, the people who make up the kingdom are the exact same people who make up the church. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. He has, talking about God, delivered us from the power of darkness, Colossians 1.13 says, and he has conveyed, he has transferred us into what? Into the kingdom of the son of his love. Past tense. Paul's writing to Christians, and he's saying, when you became a Christian, you were delivered out of darkness, and you were conveyed by God into the kingdom of the Son of His love. You see that? 
Now go down just a little bit in the context. Look at Colossians 1.18. The scripture is talking about Jesus in Colossians 1.18 and it calls him the head of the body, the church, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Once again, you have a passage where the kingdom is what we're part of and then also the church is what we're part of, all in the very same context. That's significant. That's important. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, where we've been studying tonight. Look, if you would, at what the Hebrews writer says. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23. When talking to Christians about what they did when they obeyed the gospel, he's reminding them of what they already knew, but he's, he's making a point. He says, you've, you've got a tremendous privilege in Christ and you can't walk away from that. In, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, he says, you have come to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. So here in Hebrews 12, 23, the Hebrews writer is saying, when you became a Christian, you became a part of the church of the firstborn. Now look at Hebrews 12, verse 28. We are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. There it is again in the same context. You've got the church, the assembly, the group of people who belong to Jesus, and you've got the kingdom, the citizens, the people who belong to Jesus Christ and who acknowledge his rule in their lives. In the very same context. One more passage. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. And look at verse 5. Revelation chapter 1, John's writing to some persecuted brethren. He wants them to be encouraged. He's telling them about things that he has seen. And in Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, the scripture says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the, over the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, he has loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, Revelation 1 verse 6, he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Who's he writing to? He's writing to his brethren. He's writing to, if you back up to verse 4, the seven churches which are in Asia. You see that? Revelation 1 verse 4. He's writing to the churches in Asia. And he says, God has made us kings and priests to him. And if that weren't enough, look down in Revelation 1 verse 9. In Revelation 1 verse 9, John says, I, John, am both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. So John thought 2,000 years ago on this island of Patmos that he was a part of the church. And he also thought that he was a fellow companion and laborer in the kingdom. I say again, scripture indicates that the same group of people who make up the kingdom are the same group of people who comprise the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. A couple more things to observe. As we do a compare and contrast, there's really not a whole lot of contrast. Consider this, some principles to keep in mind about the kingdom, the unshakable kingdom. Number one, both the church and the kingdom have the same head, Jesus Christ. Both the church and the kingdom have the same head, Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church, Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23. 
when we look for our headquarters, when we look for our leader, when we look for our supreme authority, we need look no farther than Jesus Christ because he is the head of the church. Again, Ephesians 1, and 23, Colossians 1, But he is also the king over his kingdom. You remember Colossians 1, just a moment ago? God has delivered us out of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of who? The kingdom of the son of his love. Jesus is the king over the kingdom. He is the head over the church. That's important. Second consideration. Both the church and the kingdom have the same entrance requirements. How do you get into the church? How do you get into the kingdom? In both cases, the Bible gives the same answer. Baptism in water. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12 and look at verse 13. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. How do I get into the church? How does one become a member? In 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, Paul's making an argument to his brethren about spiritual gifts. And he talks about their conversion. He says, it is by one spirit. There's a reference there to the gospel that the the spirit has revealed. It's by one spirit that we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all have been made to drink into one spirit. What he's saying is the way that you got into the church was through baptism. Earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul talked about in chapter 1 how he had not baptized many of them. Others had baptized them. And he was glad that he hadn't because they were fighting about who had baptized them and how great it was to be baptized by Paul or by Peter. But the point that shouldn't be overlooked is those first century Christians thought that the way they became members of the church was by being baptized. And that's exactly the way inspiration argues here. Now go back to John chapter 3 in your Bibles and look at verses 3 and 4. 3 through 5. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And he's got questions about the kingdom. He's got questions about how to be a part of the kingdom. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says this, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the, what? Kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus says in verse 5 of John 3, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the, what? The kingdom of God. The Bible indicates that both the kingdom and the church are entered through baptism through being born of water and the Spirit. Same leader, same entrance. Consider this, both the church and the kingdom have the same purchase price. Both the church and the kingdom have the same purchase price. You know what purchased the church? The blood of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. In Acts 20, verse 28, Paul argues that elders are to shepherd the flock of God, which he purchased with his blood, the church. So, if I'm part of the church, how was I bought? How was I purchased? How was I redeemed? I was redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But you remember our passage that we read in Revelation just a moment ago? 
In Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, how did God redeem us and make us kings and priests? How do we become part of the kingdom? It was by washing us in his blood. In the blood of Christ, we become part of the kingdom of God. In the blood of Christ, we become part of the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. Same entrance requirements, same purchase price. Both the church and the kingdom, number four, had the same destiny, the same destiny. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church on this rock and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Even death cannot stop my church, Jesus says. It's going to endure. You can try to stamp it out. You can try to kill every Christian you see, but my church will endure. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The people that belong to me, even when they die, they're still victorious. And then we've got Hebrews 12, 28 that we've been reading tonight. It is a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Remember? The old covenant was shaken. It was taken out of the way. The new covenant, it's here to stay. And the kingdom is here to stay. Brothers and sisters and friends, what all this means is that the same people who belong to Jesus Christ as part of the church are identical with the people that belong to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that is an important concept because once somebody enters the church, they have also entered the kingdom. And what a blessing it is. The Hebrews writer is saying to all of us, don't fail to listen to him who speaks because you've received an unshakable kingdom. And if you walk away from that, where are you going to turn for refuge? Where are you going to go to find salvation? Where are you going to go to find hope and healing and grace? Where are you going to go if you can't go to Jesus Christ and his kingdom? The church and the kingdom, identical bodies. We need to know this. We need to teach this because you know what? There are lots of people who think that the kingdom isn't here yet. They think that the kingdom is something that's still in the future. Jesus is going to return one day and he's going to establish the kingdom and then it'll start. The Bible indicates the kingdom is a present reality and woe to us if we forsake it, if we shun it, if we refuse to hear him who speaks from heaven. Get your songbooks and open to the song of encouragement that was announced a few moments ago by Alex. Maybe you recognize in your own life, you haven't been what God wants you to be. I've been dull of hearing, I've been drifting, I've been despising the great gift that Jesus Christ has given me. I've turned my nose up at what God has provided and I'm not letting it impact my heart and my life and I need prayers and I need forgiveness. Maybe you need to make that a public statement this evening. Maybe you need to obey the gospel. Believing that Jesus Christ is God's son, it's through baptism that we come into contact with his blood. It's through baptism that we are added to the church. It's through baptism that we are added to the kingdom. And we are citizens of heaven, Philippians 3 verse 20. We need to be born again. If you need to respond in any of those ways, heaven's invitation is yours. While together we stand and while we sing.